uh, today. Yesterday was our 44th anniversary, and uh, today's the first day of the 45th. And uh, Carolyn and I were talking. Did you think we'd still be here? Well, we don't know. We didn't know what we were doing. We're just following the cloud. I was kid. What map did Moses have? How about just listening to God? Is God guiding you? Has he given you a five-year plan? Do you know what you're going to do next? Well, we're going to talk and to the church and kind of give an address and celebrate communion and have a great meal and just have a great time in the Lord. I want you to be here and enjoy that. And uh, thanks, Sean, for that uh, clip and to see our youth group. Something's going on over there. I saw kids eating every other clip. So I know we're, we're feeding them for sure. We're feeding them. And they're being taught and they're with wonderful people. Isn't it wonderful not to hurt kids? To be in an environment where they won't be hurt, but that we want to help them. Uh, thank God. Thank God for Manny. Thank God for Sean and all that team that works over there. Uh, I want to uh, enlighten. Yesterday we had a uh, leadership uh, gathering, uh, about 80 or 100 of us, and we were talking about uh, uh, the theme of no grow and go we want to know God we want to grow in God and we like to go for God that God is too good to be kept to ourselves. that uh, the first command after his resurrection Christ gave is go to the nations uh, Spurgeon used to say <clears throat> I want to put one foot at the foot of the cross and the other foot, I'll stretch it as far as I can go. So, we got truth for today that is going out. We've got you that I hope you're going. I hope you're witnessing. But I want to uh, today, in light of that, uh, yesterday I only got to talk about no, and I didn't say enough, so I'm coming back to it. I want us to uh, look at Ephesians 1 and... Uh, ask ourselves, how well do you know God? Uh, it's a word that describes, he knows God. I know God. Do you? How well do you know him? And uh, listen to what A.W. Tozer said. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, if I had you close your eyes and just on the screen of your mind, if I just told you, said, what comes up when you hear the name God, the subject, what comes to mind? What is your image? Kind of try that. Uh, some he's angry. Some he's not there. Some he doesn't care. Some he's love. What is your concept? Then Tozer said, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Our faith is no greater than our concept of God. Worship is pure or base 
as the worship entertains low or low thoughts of God. Do you have high thoughts of God or low thoughts? Have you created the God that you come up with or he's the God of revelation? You could only know God as he has revealed himself. Now we come to Ephesians 1 and why I'm taken there is he's praying for people who already know God and he seems to think they could still be in the dark about God. Can you know God and still not know much about him? And so we pick up Ephesians 1 and listen to Paul's prayer. And as I read this, it's so much different than our prayer requests. Pray I'll get a job. Pray this one to be... This is Paul's prayer list. Read Ephesians 1, 3, Colossians 1, Philippians 1. It's how he prayed for the saints. Listen to what he says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's what he's saying, Christ is the fullness of the church, which is his body. He is our fullness. Now, he prays that God would give them a spirit of revelation. You see that? That they would have, and I think this is the Holy Spirit, that God would give you the Holy Spirit that you've already got. He already said they have the spirit. But I would that the spirit in you would start giving you wisdom and as it were a revelation of what God has already given you in Christ. One of the songs uh, we sang here today, uh, something like, give us your power and we're going to find out in Ephesians 1, you got the power, you just don't know it. I want more power. I want more power. You'll find out what kind of power he's given to his people. And he says, I want you to know, I want you to know these things. Now, wait just a moment. Are they saved? Did he write this to the pool hall? Did he write this to the local uh, bunny club or to a local church? Are these saints or ain'ts? Saints. And, he, and you want them to, I'm praying that you'll know. The, well, everybody knows this. No, they don't. And he prays 
that God would do illumination. He uses revelation that inside you would get to know these things, and it must be experientially get to know them. Jonathan Edwards, that great mind of the Great Awakening, he gave a uh, sermon called uh, The Divine and Supernatural Light. And in that sermon, he begins to distinguish the difference between knowing something in two senses. Notional knowledge, we would call cerebral cognitive knowledge. That kind of knowledge versus what he used, uh, his word was sense knowledge. We would say, he later said affections. What he meant by it was emotions, experience. And he would say this, and his argument went this way. If you thought I was a trustworthy prof in school, and I told you, listen to me, take good note. This would be on the exam. I want you to know this. Honey is sweet. Would that be correct? And then you get some ignorant farm boy over here. He said, yeah, it is sweet. How do you know? You went to Cal? No, I eat it all the time. I eat it. Have you ever had any? No, but the book says it's sweet. The book says it's sweet. So I believe it. Said, well, I've eaten it, and I believe it. And so Edwards would argue in his theology between what he called light and heat. We need light, knowledge. We need truth. Jesus came full of what? Grace and truth. And so we need truth. We need objective data. But that's only one way of knowing. See, some of you think you know my wife. You don't know my wife. I know her, and I don't even know her. I only know about her what she wants me to know. I do not know what she weighs. I'm forbidden. She won't share. We don't go into any family quiz programs. I don't know this. I don't know that. I only know what she's chosen to reveal. I don't know you. I only know what you allow me to know. That's what's crazy about knowing human beings. We're the only ones who have mastered the art of hiding from each other. So you, we make impressions. We dress a certain way. We look a certain way. We want to be politically correct. I only know the image you want me to know of you, but I may not know you at all. And so Edward said, when I'm talking about knowing God, I'm talking about experiencing God. Have you tasted of him? The Puritan said it this way. It's a Puritan illustration they use quite commonly. They said a father and a son are walking down the road, and one day the father says to the boy, Son, I love you. 
the son says back to his dad, I love you. Now, let me ask you this. Was he a son before the dad ever said that? We don't need this. This gets a little gooey. This gets a little warm. It's almost emotional. And you know, emotions are all wrong. Just the facts. You're my son. Don't ever forget it, you dummy. Or, you're my son. You're my beloved son. I love you, son. You mean the world to me. What difference? Over here, I feel like a son. Over here, I'm told I am a son. Now, Edwards is saying, and Paul is praying, I would you could get a hold and experience what God has done for you in Christ. I wish your inner, and he prays the same thing in Colossians 1. You could turn there. I pray God give you the spirit of understanding because you're saved and you're not reveling, experiencing, and relishing what you have in Christ. First thing I want you to really know, do you know what's in your future now that you know Christ? Do you know the hope connected with him calling you to salvation? A hope that includes heaven, includes he'll be there when you die. Uh, it includes knowing fear of death. It means uh, being in heaven forever. Uh, are you aware of your future because he called you? And do you ever experience it? Oh, that will be glory for me when by his grace I look upon his face that do you ever contemplate and relish that or have you outgrown it or did you ever know it? We got churches filled with stuffed Indians that don't have an emotion one in their Christianity because they don't know God or they barely do. They've signed a doctrinal statement and they think they know God. I just gave this address to a seminary recently. I said, you guys are getting just enough theology to win a few arguments, and you think you know God. You don't relish him yet. You don't mastigate these truths like the cow does the cud, and you just thank God, thank God. The Bible calls it meditate. You meditate. It can it be. Can it be? I've got all this in my future now because he called me to salvation. This is my future, right? I wish God would show you what all is in your future because you've been called. Then, I wish you knew the riches of his inheritance in the saints. A verse that bothered me for years, I don't like it. I, I never, because it says, I, I want to make it, it ought to be the riches we have in him. But it says, the riches of his inheritance in us. Because Colossians 1 says, God's made you fit to inherit all these wonderful things. So I like Colossians better. But that's not what Ephesians says. Ephesians said, he's saying to us, I wish you knew all the riches I've got invested in you, and it's probably that I have made you my treasured possession, and you are filled with the riches I invested in you. Well, well, well tell me some of the riches you invested. Well, 
Read the first 14. Uh, I chose you before the foundation of the world. I predestined you. I know you don't believe it, but you're too dumb to understand it, but I did it anyway. Argue with it. Go ahead and argue. Say, I don't buy it. He didn't ask your opinion. He said, I did it. He, he didn't ask your opinion about saving you. He did it. It's his idea. You dummy, you would have never known. Simon Barjona, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. You didn't figure this out hanging out with the rabbis. I revealed who I am to you. Matthew 11, you cannot know me. No one knows me except the Father. No one knows the Father but the Son, and to whom the Son reveals himself to them. Guess what? I chose you. I predestined you. By the way, I put you in my divine family by divine adoption. Uh, you're not just my enemy. I've made you a son. You're in the family will. You're in the family inheritance. You're going to be with. You're going to be in the Father's house forever. He's sharing everything He's got with you. You don't believe it, but it's true anyway. And He's telling the Ephesians, you're not experiencing it. You just say, you run over. I know my Bible. Do you know your God? Any of this stuff experiencing it in you? He goes on to say, oh, by the way, the son paid a ransom price for you. The son redeemed you. The son has forgiven you. Uh, the son has been the sacrifice. The son has done. Oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit stepped in. He regenerated you. He became a down payment on you that God has not forgotten you, that he will come and pick you up and that he's a seal. He sealed you into Christ so nothing can break that seal. Something greater than the Holy Spirit would have to be able to break the seal. This is not canning and a little bit of a wax on a little bit of jam. This is a person that seals you. I'm sealed by the Spirit. If anything's greater than the Spirit, maybe I can get out and you can get in. No, I'm sealed. Not with a stamp, but with a person. He is the seal. Now, now that's all, what all God's invested in you. Now he says, I wish you knew how much I treasure you because I've got so much invested in you. I finally figured out why people are so emotional at graduations, especially college. Parents are crying because they're knowing how much it costs them to get you to graduate. You think they're all sentimental. Dad's sitting there, <laughs> man, you cost us a ton. You think he's all, <laughs> no, no, no. That little brat just cost us 100,000 bucks. That's going to get all sentimental. Your teeth, that's why they cry when they see your teeth. Howard's never heard of orthodontist. But our dad told us when you're married, check their teeth. So we never bought a horse without checking the teeth. So boys, check your teeth. You don't want to be paying for dental work. Isn't that romantic? Just give you some inside tips. Boys, if you date one of these girls, have her open her mouth. Just see if the dental work's done. 
He says, you don't know how much I've got invested in you. Here's a question. Let me ask you this question. How many of you believe God loves you? Raise your hand. How many? Okay. Good, good. Now let me ask you a second question, and I want you to be as honest as you know how to be with this. Don't just respond. Don't just raise your hand, okay? How many of you believe God likes you? Well, some of you are just doing it because someone hit you. Isn't that harder to conceive? In one of our classes, the guy, he nearly cussed at the question. I can't stand myself. How could God like me? How many of you like dirty diapers? All men, if you raise your hand, we'll pray for you. I changed one dirty diaper just to be able to teach family and marriage. My son-in-law is out doing me 10,000 to one. I always thought that was for the, the sisters. But do you like a dirty diaper? No. Do you like the child? Did you know that God could say to you, before I ever saved you, I knew all the messes you'd make. I knew all the messing up you'd do. But I still like you. I call you my treasure. I call you my inheritance. You're my investment. And you're over here wondering if I love you. I don't only love you. I like you. I don't like the messes, but I'll clean them up. I won't abandon you when there's a mess in your life. I'll change you. But I won't disown you. I wish you knew that experientially. I wish you knew how much I love you, how I, you're my treasure. And you're going around with this complex, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care, where are you, God? He said, oh, oh, do you know what I've invested in you already? Then he said, I wish you could know the power that I've made available to you. And he uses three criteria for that power. So you look at it, three power. There's a power that's greater than death, a power greater than his enemies, and a power that is able to fill up all the deficiencies of those in the church. And he says, first of all, I raised my son from the dead. That's pretty great power. It's that kind of power I'm talking about. Two, I put him above all authorities, powers, dominions, dominions, which are really demonic powers, fallen angels. I've, I've elevated him above his enemies, so he's going to put his foot on angelic powers. Someday he'll do it in Psalms 2 to all nations. He will crush them like a potter's vessel and put his foot on the head of his enemies. Get out of the way, Isis. The king is coming. And he will handle you. He will handle you. The body they may kill, but his, true, his truth will triumph still. A boy that had a warrant on his arrest to kill him wrote that while he was hiding out in a castle up in northern Germany, southern Germany. And while it was in there, he came out with a German translation of the Bible. While they're trying to snuff him out, 
For he said, I will not bow to popes, creeds, or traditions. My conscience is bound by the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. Here he says, I wish you knew the hope. I wish you knew the power that I've placed in my people that defeats death, that conquers the enemy, and exalts Christ so that he becomes the fullness as our head. He is the fullness that makes the church. You know what? Sometimes Valley Bible, I, it's okay, but I get weary of it in some way. I'm in the church. I attend this church. This church has a perfect head. This one is full of men like me, imperfect. And some of you almost got preacher religion. Well, I want to tell you, you didn't get it from me. I wouldn't trust me for one minute if my eternity counted on it. But you can trust the head. You can trust the head. He is our fullness. He is our fullness. Well, chapter 3. Let's just look at that. He said, I pray another prayer time in Ephesians. And I pray in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. See, that, that God would do something in the saved, in the inner being, in you, so that Christ may feel at home. The word dwell here is settle down. That Christ may feel at home in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power. At where there is faith, there's power. God's got all the power. He just can't find people to believe him. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Somebody hand me that psalm book right there. I think of this love of God. And I just thought, thank you, uh, is we just when you take a man, we don't even know where the words come from. I've heard they were written on the walls of an, an insane asylum. I'm not sure in the hymn book, the second stanza, I've never heard. But the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. Is that what you talk about? It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made 
where every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of God constrains me that though one had died for all, we should make him known. I will never forget Barney Ayotte's description of him going to New Guinea with new tribes. As Barney graphically described a gross people, during the meeting, their children would defecate and they would simply hang them out a window, no diapers, let the child do their business, continuing the service. Uh, one, uh, one absurd uh, offensive practice after another. One of the most gross, as he's telling about, they believe that the human body is infested with demons after they die. And so their practice in the tribes he was dealing with, they would build a, a, a fire out in the middle of an empty field, put the body there, give it about a week to uh, decompose because the tradition was someone would go and plunge their hand, get the heart, eat it to keep the body from being demon-possessed and being kept out of eternity. And to do that, during the week of that body decomposing in the heat of New Guinea, they would be shooting arrows over it, both sides. They'd have family on one side, this side, and they're shooting to keep demons away. You've got to keep the demons away. Keep the demons away. Barney said the last thing they were was lovely. They were gross. They were dirty. They were cannibals. They were killers. They raped women. They, they, they were terrible, terrible. And he said, I didn't go because they were lovely. I went because Jesus was. I went because the gospel is. I heard Ravi Zacharias just say today, the greatest rebuttal to all of his apologetics is Christians looking nothing like what they claim. I know God, and their faces and their temperaments are cranky, critical, hateful. They've lost the joy of the Lord. They couldn't say with Peter, to you who know him, he is precious. If you know him, you love him, and you find knowing him is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Where is, do you have a joy that is unexpressible? Do you have a love for God you can't contain yourself? That people said, I never knew what the love of God looked like until I met you. For by this, Men will know you're my followers because you got a correct doctrinal statement because you throw a Bible at me and you want to talk prophecy or you want to argue some verse. No, I see a love in you. Why do you care for my soul? As I shared yesterday, reading a life story of uh, John Wesley, so moving, 
beaten up often. Charles too. They would be beaten, stoned. I mean, we think of England as wonderful England. There's pagan England. Coal miners. Read, read the history of the English-speaking people by Winston Churchill. And said so the island was settled by cannibals that came from Norway. The English aren't all these blue bloods. There's a bunch of cannibals in those ancestors. Talk about all the royalty. You came from a royal mess, a fallen race. And all your pomp and circumstance and monarchy doesn't remove your depravity. Heartaching to see how many people white people have killed. Called England, called Europe. They've killed people and all the time claiming to be sophisticated, educated, well endowed with intelligence. Why have you killed so many people? And in that, John Wesley, an Oxford grad, the son of a minister, when he went to reach the miners, in England, Murray said, one time he's out there preaching because the Church of England won't let him preach in their pulpits because he, he's a wild guy. He says you've got to be born again. Church of England, you don't have to be born again. Much of Protestantism today, you don't have to be born again. Just get sprinkled. That'll do enough. We're that group of people known as the dissenters. We're the protesters to Rome. You must be born again. You must have the Spirit of God open up Christ to you. And all your religiosity makes you no nearer to heaven than if you were hanging out at a brothel. You need the truth of the gospel that says you're a sinner and you must flee to Christ. He alone saves. He alone saves. Not religion, not race, not ethnicity. And he said, sometimes Wesley would come out of that field so caked over with ice and snow as the winds blew off the North Sea. And he would preach sometimes an hour to two hours begging miners, miners, hell raisers, drunks, brothel attenders. You need Christ. You need Christ. The Church of England has sold out the gospel. You need Christ. Now I ask you, what is the love of God doing in us? You can't share a Christ you don't love. You won't share him. We get always defeated because we can't get a bunch of people to do evangelism. Well, the bigger problem is you don't know him very well. You're not talking about the hope. You're not talking about, I am richly endowed. I always use this story because it's marked me for life. Please bear with it told it before, but I always think of it, the difference between notional knowledge and experiential. I was going to a little Bible Institute at Sherwood Forest. Some of our brothers and sisters from that church, and Dean Moore was teaching. I'm a Pentecostal boy in a little Free Will Baptist school. I, I love those two years more than the other two years at Western. I loved those free will Baptist folks. They were so good to me. But one day in class, Dean, either in Romans 9, I was taking it for Romans, either Romans 9 or 
He went over to Ephesians 1. He might have got in the debate, I've chosen Jacob, and I've hated Esau, and got into that election, free will, and all those issues. But he, he went to Ephesians 1. He had us all read, you know, before from the foundation of the world, God chose you in Christ Jesus, and he has bestowed upon you every spiritual blessing in him. And okay, my dad's paying my tuition. He's a Pentecostal deacon in a church in Richmond. Eight dollars a unit. It was outrageous. It's while I was going there that King was killed. I remember 1963, I started. I was on Dam Road making a turn on Road 20 and came over my little VW radio. King shot down. It seemed like a dark day. My heart sunk. But I never forget at the dinner table at night, David and Paul were married, my sister Ruth. So my dad sat here, my mother there, my sister Hazel here, and me. He'd say, what did you learn today? I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to upset him. We don't buy this stuff, God choosing. We do all the choosing. God can't be choosing us. But I don't want to lie. I said, you won't believe it, Dad. the president of the school today in a free will Baptist school said that God wanted the Howards before he made the Milky Way and that before he created the world he said he's going to save L.J. Howard Ural Hazel Paul David Ruth Philip and two brothers that are already there can you believe that, Dad? What do you think of that? Now I'm waiting for the rebuttal. And all of a sudden, over here, my dad would do this, as boys know. It's kind of weird, but that's what he do. Is it? I said, are you okay? I looked at my mother, no theologian now. Uh-uh, this farm girl, no educated. She just had children and worked hard. Not real smart, Bible. No, no, didn't know that. But she's over there wiping her eyes. Now I see my sister Hazel. She's down here. I thought, what in the world done happened in this room? And I said, what is it, Dad? What is it? It's too wonderful for me to take it in. Did he really want us that bad? Did he really? We didn't even argue about free will. We didn't even argue about, uh-huh, eh. Because you see, the cerebral crowd, all they can do is argue. They never experience. They never taste the honey. We all at the table just took the honey. And from that day on, I know I'm chosen through no good works on my part. I can't figure it out. You go ahead, fight about it. Get good, heated. I don't care. God doesn't care. He's been watching us theological types rip it back and forth all these years. Why don't you eat the honey? 
Why don't you just enjoy it and say, you mean I've chosen? Why, yes. How many times do I have to tell you? I could choose whoever I want. I chose Israel, and the Gentiles have been mad at me ever since, but I still chose them. Out of all the nations on the earth, I chose that little nation of Israel. And Israel, God is not through. God's got a plan. And don't you dare hate Israel. Don't you dare. It's satanic. It's of the devil to despise the descendants of Abraham. I don't care if they're atheists. I don't care about God chose out of all. He didn't choose Ireland. He didn't choose Germany. He chose little Israel. She has no right to exist but the hand of God. I believe in the future of Israel. God will have the final word. My concern is for you. We will not have a future in this church if the Spirit doesn't do a work in us to make us relish the love of God, the hope of the gospel, the riches of being God's child, and know we've got more power than we'll ever tap. You can only tap this power by believing God's promises. And I ask you, do you believe? Do you think there's enough power? Are you experiencing it? Or sin is greater, temptation's greater. Why don't you say the power's greater? Is the power greater? Let's quit trying to evangelize all these rough, rowdy kids because there's not enough power to save a young person today. Can he make you start experiencing the truths you say you know? Or have you become wooden? It's only paper and ink to you and some little, I believe it or I don't. So what? Have you ever tasted it? Taste and see that the what? Oh, see, I grew up with people less educated than a lot of us. But oh my, we used to sing a little little song, came out of Sweden. No, no, out of Scotland. It's better felt than telt. I've experienced it. I can't always explain it. Something got a hold of me, an old black song. You weren't there when Cleveland sings that I got saved on a Tuesday night. You weren't there. I was. What do you mean? You're talking about you experienced God. I had a guy come to me yesterday. I said, God talks to me. He said, well, yeah, I'm a little nervous with that. How does God talk to you? I said, well, explain this to me. My sheep hear my voice. Does that mean we don't hear it? Come on, you theological types. Figure that out. Are you walking on dreams and revelation? I'm walking on his word. He's been talking to me for over 50 years, friend. I'm here because the voice said, come. And I'm going to finish my journey by the grace of God, hopefully listening to one voice. There's a cacophony of voices, but you better be sure you hear this voice, the voice of eternity. I ask you, are we lukewarm? Are you backslid? Is all of your knowledge just robotic? But you're not, you know you're not experiencing it. This is what Paul was praying. This is what Edwards contended. You cannot lack the emotions of love, joy, peace, hate of evil, 
fear of the Lord, zeal for God. All, he says in religious affections, any man who claims to know God and does not have the affections, I doubt whether he knows God. There must be an effect of the divine God upon us. How can you know this God and it not affect you? Right. Oh, no, no, no. He's not. He's not a formula in a scientific lab. He's a divine person who affects those who know him. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Oh, I want to know him better. I've read my books until my eyes wear out sometimes. But I have to admit, the last week, I've gotten into this habit of getting up early, and I read where George Mueller always prayed the Scriptures, so I got to pray in the Psalms. But then I got away where I would just read my Bible in the morning, and, and all of a sudden it became wooden. Because I'm not reading the Bible to say I read three chapters. I'm reading it to turn your eyes into ears. I'm listening. Talk to me. Talk to me. I don't want ink and paper. I want the voice of eternity. I want to hear him. I want to hear him. When I started praying over this Bible, the Spirit started teaching me again. This last week I had a feast because the, I asked the Spirit. I just got to, you just got to get in there and do your three chapters, you know. Read it. Yeah, did you read? Yeah, I did. Did you hear anything? Why, no. I complete the book of 2 Corinthians. Ooh, good for you. Is he saying anything to you? I want you to know the hope connected with your calling. The fact that God counts you his treasure. The fact that he's given you more power than you'll ever be able to tap. And the love of Christ that is beyond description. Oh, that it would fill and burst our hearts. Our Father, we know you, but we don't. We know we have eternal life, but sometimes we're not experiencing it. it uh, we become wooden. We become uh, mechanical. We become unaffected by you. Your love, your joy, your peace, your, uh, your promises cease to be our meditation. Joy. Father, how do you have joy just as an objective fact? When does it become ours in experience? Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. When does that become our experience? Is it just a fact that we can quote Philippians 4.4? 4, or do you want us to experience joy? Let our Christianity get beyond just objective data and start becoming this Light and heat, not just facts, but let me experience the honey. I want to taste you. I want you to affect my senses, my attitude, my spirit, my outlook on other people. May the love of God become our constraining motivation. Deliver us of the weariness, the weariness of serving God. You said, take my yoke, and I won't wear you out. 
I'll let you learn of me. Oh, Israel, don't you try to carry me. I'll carry you. You cannot carry me, for I am the everlasting arms. I'll carry you. Oh, Father, if there's anyone here today that's never entered into the rest of knowing Jesus Christ, would you let them today believe in Christ and him alone and enter that rest? If there are believers that are backslidden in experience, they, they can't remember when prayer and the word was made alive to them, that it was more than data, more than external. May joy and peace and love and zeal for you refresh us. I don't want to lose the first love and you told me I'm in danger of doing it. Please don't let us lose it. We don't want to we don't want to walk away. <coughs> Revive this poor church that unless you work among us afresh we have no future. Our future is no greater than our God. Let us be the people of God that truly seek your face. We can have none of this without hungering for it. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for this God. To thirst. Deliver us from being satiated with the cotton candy of this world and losing our appetite for the manna from heaven. Please, Lord, please. Let's sing a dedication song to the Lord. Stand. Anyone in need that you want to come forward, our pastors will be in the front. We'll help you any way we can. Let us sing this. If you mean it, sing this to the Lord. <laughs> 